Hello, folks, and welcome back to the On Being Christian podcast. The On Being Christian podcast is a ministry of the Wasatch Front Baptist Church here in Salt Lake City, Utah. And I am the pastor of the Wasatch Front Baptist Church. My name is Nolan Ruby, and this is the second podcast in the On Being Christian or under the On Being Christian title. The first one was just a brief introduction to me so that you would know who is spending some time with you. And um, from that podcast, I did mention that the goal or the vision of this was to not only uh, do interviews with different men of God who have stood for the cause of Christ across our country in different ways and different avenues, but also to share some some thoughts from God's Word, hopefully with the intent that these would be beneficial and uplifting and helpful to you. And that's exactly what I'd like to try to do today. And so without further ado, I'd like to get started. I want to talk to you this, uh, I was going to say this morning, but I'm not sure exactly what time you're listening to this, this morning, this afternoon, this evening, whichever applies. I'd like to talk to you about the idea of not only being a Christian and, and what that means very briefly, but also a couple things as it would apply to how to do that most effectively. And um, in all cases, with respect to this podcast, those ideas or those theologies are going to be brought to you from God's Word, uh, not from my opinion. And so I'd like to share some ideas with you this morning from 1 Peter chapter 2. If you want to follow along, that's fine. I'm going to give you all the references, and so you can go back and check this out if you're listening to this in the car or traveling or whatever you're doing. First Peter chapter 2, and I'm going to start in verse 11, and I'm going to read down through the end of the chapter just to kind of give us a context, and everything that we're going to talk about today is going to be from these, these verses here. So 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 11, the Bible says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, Abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which shall, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we, or excuse me, that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously." 
who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For we were as sheep gone astray, but now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. This is a wonderful section of scripture. I've always liked First and Second Peter. Peter being one of the apostles of Jesus Christ, I've often um, associated myself, well, not associated myself with him as much as I've understood him. Um, the way in which he had responded to certain situations that he was presented with, often that made sense to me. And so I think that him and I would have gotten along. But just what I want to talk to you this morning about, or this evening, or this afternoon, or whenever you're listening to this, is the idea of uh, what being a Christian means in this time in which we have been called to serve the Lord, and then a couple things with regards to how to most effectively do that. And we find that all right here in 1 Peter chapter 2. Right off the bat, just by way of introduction, I want you to notice in the very first verse that we read, it says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. And I think before we get too far into this, we need to understand exactly what a Christian in this world is. The Bible uses the word strangers and pilgrims to define those whose lives are lived in the pursuit of the gospel of Jesus Christ, whose lives are lived in the pursuit of the truth of the doctrine of the word of God. In other words, their Christianity is not based just off who they say they are, but how they live their lives. The Bible says those people are strangers and pilgrims. The word strangers is a word that means a by-dweller or a foreigner, and the word pilgrim is a word that means an alien or someone who's no longer from this place or uh, no, no longer belongs to this place. Those are interesting words to describe how the Lord says we should think about ourselves, specifically because I think most often our natural inclination is to build something for ourselves, to build a reputation or to build a thing as if it's going to last, as if this is where we are defined or where our success is defined. And the Bible says this is not—my my mind immediately goes to an old hymn in which the verse says, this is not our home, we're just passing through. And that's exactly what it means to be a Christian. It means to understand the fact that upon our public profession of faith towards God and repentance towards the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, we are not any longer defined by uh, how we would at one point have looked at things. There's two identical verses in Proverbs that says, There is a way that seemeth right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And what that's referring to is the natural man. And as Christians, the Bible also says, um, when you accept Christ as your Savior, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are, are become new. Thus, as Christians, there's two natures that we deal with. The new nature, the, the saved nature, the nature that has been forgiven by God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and then the old nature, which is our flesh, and that's the, that's the war that we are constantly waging. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2 
10 through 13 and verse 19 gives us a context here. Verse 12 says, without Christ being aliens and strangers. And so we are we are talking about that idea of being foreigners, aliens, strangers, pilgrims in this land. And then verse 19 says, no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens. And then Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13 says that we are strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And so the first thing that we need to understand is that to be at home in this world is to be a stranger to God, and to be a stranger in this world is to have a home in heaven. But to be a stranger in this world is to have a war against the soul. And that's what I was referring to by those old and new natures combating each other. A war against the soul. I tell people here at Wasatch Front Baptist Church that the most difficult person to be honest with most all the time is yourself. But if you can learn through your vulnerability to the Word of God, if you can learn to be honest with yourself, regardless of what that means, then most of the time being honest with other people is not so difficult. The problem is that being honest with yourself means seeing yourself the way God sees things and not the way you see them, making your decisions from the perspective of the Word of God and not from the perspective of man. Those verses I told you about in Proverbs, there is a way that seemeth right to a man. In other words, there is a way in which logic and counsel and, and, and common sense, quote-unquote, would point you, but the end of that verse says, but those th- that way leads to death. In other words, being a Christian is not about living a life from the perspective of humanity in the best way that we know how, but rather being a Christian is about living this life from the perspective of God's commandments, not the best way we know how, but the only way in which he's told us to do it, which he gave us a word of God to discern. And so that's what being a Christian is. It's a, it's a bit of a conflict, uh, not with the outside world so much as with the self, with the person in the mirror. And sometimes that can be the most dangerous and capable enemy that we face. And so verse 11 of, of 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, and then it goes on to say, Abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul. Fleshly lust, which war against the soul. That word war is a word for a military campaign. It's to contend with carnal inclinations. That's what that word war means. And so being a Christian is a contention with carnality, with our own fleshly carnality. That's what being a Christian is. For someone to say, I'm a Christian, and then absolutely make no endeavors of any kind to rein in the desires of their flesh, that is not a Christian. You can't say you're a Christian. You can only live the fact of Christianity. And that's what this podcast is all about. As was made mention in that podcast number one, Christianity has been relegated to a noun which is defined nearly or or, or merely by nothing more and nothing less than what a person says, when in reality, Christianity is a verb. It must be lived. It's dependent upon what we do, not what we say. 
2 Corinthians 10.3, you'll find a phrase that says, We walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. And so our fight is not against the, 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 with the, the flesh. Excuse me. Our, flight, our fight is with the flesh, but it's not won by the flesh. It's won by the Spirit. This is where we walk. This is where we live. Christians, this is how we are to serve the Lord. Uh, but the victory of this life is not done from the perspective of humanity. It's done from the perspective of spirituality. 1 Timothy chapter 1, 17-18 gives a good context. In verse 18, you find the phrase that says, "...that thou mightest war good warfare." And so there is a requirement to contend with the flesh as Christians. There is a requirement to contend and stand and, and resist certain things in this life. It starts with self, and then once that's something that you have been able to give over to the Lord and He has helped you with, He'll entrust you with further responsibilities in which you can help other people. One of the things I used to tell young men was um, before the Lord would ever entrust you with a spouse, wife, children, things like that, you might find that he's looking for some personal victories in your own life. I heard it said one time that uh, the Bible talks about the fact that a, uh, a wife is a help that is meat for the man's life. In other words, the Lord has someone... Just talking to the guys here for a, for a brief second. The Lord has someone very specific for you, and she will be the most appropriate, most particular, most applicable uh, thing in your life, person in your life, entity in your life, outside of the Lord himself, that will help you live this Christian life. With that said, if you're not doing anything for the cause of Christ— it would make sense that the Lord wouldn't really need to give you someone to help you do nothing. In other words, you know, sometimes being a Christian is not about looking for things as you define them to be successful, as opposed to, or rather, looking for things that the Lord's told you to seek first. The Bible says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. And so if we can fight ourselves, if we can resist our flesh, if we can war a good warfare, if we can understand and always remember that this is not our home, we're strangers and pilgrims, sojourners, foreigners, aliens in this world, that's a good first step. There's a book by a fella who uh, it's the second best-selling book of all time. The first best-selling book of all time is the Bible, the King James Bible specifically. The second best-selling book of all time is a book by Mr. Bunyan, who wrote on, or excuse me, uh, Pilgrim's Progress. And I remember reading that as a young kid, thinking the names were so strange. But what he wrote in that book was a journey about a man who faced characters and entities that would resist him, none of which were greater than his own self. And when he finally laid that burden down at the feet of Jesus Christ at the cross of Calvary, there was victory, and he became what his name's sake already was, Christian, a Christian pilgrim. And so, number one, I, I think we need to understand before we get into how to be a Christian, just exactly what being a Christian is, and, and that's being a bit of a, a foreigner in this world, a sojourner, an alien. 
And that means we're going to look at things from the perspective that God would desire versus looking at things from the perspective that would make more sense to us or as we would define them. Now, where we're reading goes on to talk about two ways in which to apply this ideology. Verse 12 says, Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. And so don't be surprised that no one or, or, or when, when the whole world is not super thrilled with the fact that you're a Christian. It says that the converse, with honest conversation, um, that's the best way to speak against those who would accuse you or act evil towards you. This is best done by looking at verse 13, which starts off with this phrase, submit yourselves. It goes on to say, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. The first thing I want to talk to you about considering how to apply being a Christian is submission or submitting. The word submit is a word that means to cause to sink lower, to yield or to resign to or to surrender to the power of. It's interesting. That's not the way <laughs> that's not the way victory is won according to the flesh by submitting. But according to the spirit, the Bible says submit yourselves and then it specifically says to what and to who. It says to every ordinance of man, to every ordinance. It says to do that, not for the sake of the ordinance or for the sake of the man, but for the sake of the Lord. And then it defines kind of three uh, echelons of this submitting. It says, whether it be to the king as supreme, that would be the highest echelon, or unto governors, which would be that medium echelon, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers. And that would be that lower echelon. All three echelons of the ordinances of men, the Bible says we're to submit ourselves to them, not for man's sake or for the sake of the ordinances, but for the sake of the Lord. As it says in verse 13, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the, for the Lord's sake. So very clearly, this is empowering to me because it goes against my natural inclination. I was a Marine. I was a machine gunner for the 3rd Battalion, 8th Marines. And um, we, had a, we were an anti-terrorism battalion for a while. And the idea of winning anything by submitting to anything just doesn't jive with my natural inclinations. But in the Christian world, in the, uh, in the doctrine of the Word of God, for the sake of the Lord... Being a Christian, I am biblically commanded to submit myself, to sink or surrender into the power and authority of another, specifically for the sake of the testimony of the Lord. And then it again lays out those three echelons, the king, the governors, or those who are sent to enforce. The act of submitting or subjecting ourselves to every ordinance of man is not done for man's sake, but for the Lord's sake. Who would like us, the Lord, would like us, or, or excuse me, would like to use us as a tool to reach all men for him. In this way, 
Who you submit to is no less important than any other or than any other aspect or with respect to any other aspect of the Christian walk. And so submission, submission. Now there's a couple of thoughts under submission that I'd like to look at. It says submit yourselves to every ordinance. And then it goes on and lays those echelons out. Verse 15 says, For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. So if verse 13 and verse 14 are the who, then verse 15 through verse 16, which says, As free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Verse 15 through 16 would be the why. It says, For so is the will of God. By the way, if there was no other why, then that would be a pretty good reason, because God said so. So why am I doing all this? Verse 15 says, for so is the will of God. Number one. Number two, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Ignorance here is a word that means the absence of knowledge or not having been informed of facts. In other words, There's two ways in which you can walk through this life, aware and obeying God, or unaware and not in obedience to God. Anything that's done outside of obedience to God produces bad results. The Bible says, as Christians, our job isn't to fight that in the way in which our flesh would desire us to fight it, but rather to fight it by submitting to it for the cause and sake of the testimony of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And says, if, uh, as, as reference to this, or to look at other verses of Scripture that back this up, Ephesians chapter 4, 17 through 19 is the context. You'll find this phrase there. It says, alienated from the life of God through, and it goes on to say, ignorance. So there is an ignorance in the world. And it's, the Bible says it's directly related to those who have chosen to not believe God. Now, I'm not calling people ignorant. I'm saying the Bible uses the word to define a life lived apart from God. The Bible says the beginning of wisdom is fear. Fear, in that reference, is a word for reverence. And so the reverence of God, the fear of God, is the beginning of wisdom. And so when I choose to live a life Outside of the pursuit of God, the Bible says the only possible result is ignorance towards the things that God has designed for men, and that ignorance is best combated through the life of the Christian, specifically through the will of that Christian being submitted or or being submissive to every ordinance of man. 1 Peter chapter 1, if we go back one chapter, 1 Peter chapter 1, 13 through 16, gives us a a kind of a a help to understand this. It says, Wherefore, gird up your loin, excuse me, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children. And here's the part I want to draw your attention to not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust. In your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here 
in fear, in fear. So we have this command from God that ignorance is best combated with a life that's lived by the example of the doctrine of the Word of God in submission to every ordinance of man for the sake of the Lord, not for the sake of the ordinance or for the sake of man. The third thing here we find under this idea of submitting, we find the who, which is the king is supreme, the governors or them that are sent to enforce. We find the why, which is uh, to put to silence ignorance, as the Bible says. Now let's look at the how. If we pick it up where we left off, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17 says, Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So the how is three things, honor, love, and fear. But these three things must be appropriately applied, specifically as the Bible has said they should be. And so it says, honor all men. It also says, honor the king. And so submitting to every ordinance of man is best done by, as a Christian, honoring men. Now, what, I want, what I'd like to draw your attention to here, what I want to say on this, is that I would encourage you not to be so quick on the judgment of other people. Now, there are things that you can clearly see um, concerning things you can't be supportive of or things you can't be in, in fellowship with from a Christian perspective, but that doesn't mean that we are to dishonor men. The Bible says, honor all men and honor the king. Honor is a word for to hold in high estimation an exalted rank. I tell my kids all the time, um, it's about others. It's about others. It's, it's about thinking of others. That's what this life is all about. And the best way to do that is to honor men. Honor them. By the way, is that not what Jesus Christ did while he was on this earth? You see lots of opportunities where Christ could have taken a very active stance against someone. And instead, he honored people. In fact, many times he honored people that nobody else honored. He honored them. And that's the first thing with respect to submitting. How do I do that? I honor men. I honor them as people that God created, if nothing else. People that God loves. People that God would desire to connect with. Specifically, people that God would desire to love and connect with through you. That's why you're a Christian, to connect and love and honor people. The second thing, it says, love the brotherhood. Love the brotherhood. The Bible commands us to love all men. Specifically here, it's talking about the brotherhood. In other words, the word love here is a word uh, with regard to affection and benevolence. Benevolence meaning uh, unending giving. I'm to give of myself beyond measure. You say, how is that possible? Well, the Bible says all things are possible through Christ or through him that to them that love him. In other words, if I trust the Lord, then I don't really need to understand how he gives me an untappable source of love. But that's exactly what the new man is capable of through the grace of God by Jesus Christ is love. Love. The new man is capable of of love. That love is not possible in the old man. The pride and arrogance of life focuses almost entirely on self. 
And the new man, Christ living inside a regenerated heart, focuses almost entirely on others. So the more mature I become in the cause of Christ, the less focused on myself I should become. This idea that Christianity can be something I pick up and put down as I need it is foolishness, folks. This idea that Christianity is something that I use to further my cause and my life is ridiculous. Christianity is about loving others, putting others first, the pursuit of others' advancement over my own. That's what Christianity is about, and it's not possible without love. And one of the best and most applicable ways to see the love of a person is for a person to submit themselves to others, not for their own sakes, but for the sake of the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. The next thing that we see here is the word fear. And that word is specifically applied to God. That word here is a word for respect, due, or reverence. And so I'm commanded to honor all men, to love the brotherhood, to fear God and honor the king, to fear God, to reverence God. One of the things that this world has descended into is the idea that God can or cannot be accepted and there's no effect or cause by the lack of acceptance or the acceptance of him. And that's not correct. There's only two things that you can do with truth. And I've said this before. You can accept it or you can deny it. That's the responsibility of having the truth told to you. And the truth is that God is real. He does love you. And he did send his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. And he will demand that you reject self and accept Christ. Christianity has been turned into this thing of accepting the parts of Christ I like and applying them to the parts of myself that I love and straddling the fence of those two things in the pursuit of my own goals. And that's not correct. To honestly submit, I must remember that it's to the king is supreme, the governors, which is the middle, and, and to those that are sent to enforce the lower end. It's it's for the specific will of God, not for the intent or will of man, because I am an alien or a stranger in this life. It's, it's not about me, it's about others. And, and thirdly, it's about honoring the brotherhood, or excuse me, honoring all men and the king, loving the brotherhood and fearing God. Fearing God. Correctly placing our honor, love, and fear is the key to bringing foolish ignorance to silence and ignorance has never been brought to silence by the actions of men, but rather by the action of God through the humble subjection of men. And so, again, like I said before, men often think that they can bring something to an end. They can cause something to come to a point of resolution by force. And that's just not true. And so the first thing I want to share with you tonight about being a sojourner, about being a, and I say tonight because where I am, it's tonight, um, about being a sojourner, about being a, a pilgrim, an alien, is that uh, we are commanded biblically to submit. The second thing is we are commanded to commit. If I keep reading, verse 18 says, Servants be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. That's the other thing. Sometimes we like to say, well, I would, I would do that for them if they deserved it. And here's my question. Where would you be 
if someone only gave you what you deserved. I know where I would be. And it was because someone gave me something that I didn't deserve that I have the freedom to be a Christian today. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it, if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if, when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. In other words, we're laying out a context here of what being a Christian looks like. It looks like not only being gracious when there's no reason to be gracious, which I don't think would be that difficult, but being gracious when there's cause to be malicious. That's what being a Christian is all about. Verse 21 says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. In other words, it says, look, Christ laid an example down. He suffered for us. That's the example. This idea that Christianity is some kind of name-it-claim-it health and wealth game, again, is absolutely ridiculous. Being a Christian is a confrontation with the old man. And there's going to be some suffering involved. There's going to be a sacrifice involved. But that's not what—this home is—this world is not our home. This is not our final place. This is just where we have the opportunity to be effective for the cause of Christ. Now, speaking of Christ specifically, verse 22 says, "...who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again, when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously." And that's the part, that's the second part I want to focus on with you. He committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. And so the first thing it says is that uh, we, he submits, we're to submit ourselves for the cause of Christ, and as the example that Jesus Christ laid out for us, we're to commit ourselves. We're to commit ourselves to him that judgeth righteously. In fact, if we jump over to 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 19, 1 Peter 4.19, the Bible says, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit, there's that word again, the keeping of their soul to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. So there's two words, there's two ideas about committing ourselves. And what I mean by that is the committing of our thoughts, the committing of our desires, the committing of... um, our sense of righteousness and justification, we commit that, and here's the two thoughts, to the righteous judge, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse, I just lost it, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21, uh, verse 23 says, committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, and then 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 19, it says, commit the keeping talking about himself, to the faithful creator. So we commit ourselves to the righteous judge, number one. Number two, the faithful creator. In other words, folks, there's going to be things in this life that take place that logically, thought-provokingly, we say, that's not right. That's not not right. That's wrong. That's, That's unjust. And instead of fighting that, instead of pursuing that and causing a, a, a ruckus over that, the Word of God says, you commit that into the hands of the Lord, because He is the righteous judge, and He is the faithful creator. Not to go too into detail, but folks, some of you know me, uh, most of you probably don't, but those who do know that 
I've been on both sides of this. Most recently, I was on the side of this with respect to things happening that weren't right. They were biblically not right, and in in many cases, they were lawfully not right. And there's a side of me that says, you know, that's not right. That's not right. I need to fight that. And I had no peace about it. I had no, I had no guiding from, from the Holy Spirit to do that. And I think it's because of these verses right here. It says, when those types of things happen, for the sake of others and for the sake of the cause of Christ, for the sake of being a Christian, the right thing to do is to commit those things into the hands of the, right, the righteous judge and the faithful creator. Commit is a word that literally means to send it, to throw it, to put it on or lay it upon. In the Marine Corps, I was a gunner, I was a machine gunner, and when we had a green light, when we had a good, uh, a, a good target, one of the last things I heard before the gun started, I was a 50 cal gunner, and then later on I ran a gun platoon. One of the last things you heard before those guns started barking was the word send it. And uh, when you said that, it, it, they, they went off. And that's kind of the idea of being a Christian is sometimes you just get so frustrated and so fed up with what you would define from a human perspective as unright or unjust. And it can really cause you to get bitter and angry and negative and jaded. And if you hold on for it too long, it'll pull you out of the will of God. And the Bible says, according to 1 Peter, when those types of feelings get built up in the heart of a Christian, sometimes I just say to the Lord, all right, or to myself, send it, and I give it to him. Why? Because he's righteous and faithful, and he'll do the right thing no matter what. Regardless of how I would define it, the Bible says the Lord is righteous. We, we find this all throughout the Bible. Genesis chapter 18, verse 25 says rhetorically, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Psalm 50, verse 6 says, The heavens shall declare his righteousness, for God is judge. Psalm 75, verse 7 says, But God is the judge. 2 Timothy 4, 8 says, The Lord, the righteous judge. Hebrews 12, 23 says, To God the judge of all. And those are just the verses in reference to the righteous judgment of God. There's a story about God's character. No one single part of his character is greater or weaker than any other part of his character. And the judgment of God is pure. Just as pure as the judgment of God is the love of God, which is why he gave us his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, who took away the sin of the world through his sacrifice on the cross, and through his perfect shed blood. And so it's through the grace of God, which is available in Jesus Christ alone, that I can be spared from the judgment of God, which will come upon sin. I tell the folks here at Wasatch Front Baptist Church, sin cannot be forgiven. The sinner can. The sinner can be forgiven, but sin has to be paid for, and Jesus Christ paid for it. And so without Jesus Christ, I don't have the payment. Without Jesus Christ, I don't have that which, which God the Father said he is well pleased. And so the righteous judge, I commit it into the hands of the righteous judge. Number two, I commit it into the hands of the faithful creator. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28, the creator 
And then he goes on to say, fainteth not. In other words, there's not going to be something that the Lord faces that causes him to waver. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. He is the creator. He is the articulate artificer of everything that we see. 2 Thessalonians 3, 3 says, The Lord is faithful who shall establish you. What a wonderful verse. He's the righteous judge, but he's also faithful. He's faithful, and I can trust that in the giving of the things that don't make sense to me, in the giving of those things to him, he will be righteous with them, and he will be faithful with them. Psalm 119, verse 86 says, Thy commandments are faithful. Verse 138 says, Thy testimonies that thou hast commanded are righteous and very faithful. And so what does it mean to be a pilgrim and a stranger in this land? Well, it means confrontation, first with the man in the mirror, looking at that guy and saying, you know what, you've not ever saved anybody. You've not ever changed anybody's life. You are the recipient on your best day of the grace of God, and from that perspective, I need to live by the Spirit within me and not by the flesh which is governed by the old man. That's the fight that we face, the Spirit of God within us versus the old man, the old flesh. With that perspective being understood, there's a couple things that we need to do in order to be a Christian. Number one is to submit, to submit, not for the cause of the ordinances or for the sake of man, but for the sake of the Lord's testimony on earth, submitting to every ordinance of man, to the king, the governors, and those that enforce them. How do we do this? We honor and love and fear. Honor all men and the king, love the brotherhood. That's that benevolent word, forgiving of ourselves. And fear, in other words, that direct reverence towards the creator of all things. And so once I understand that my victory is going to be won by submitting, then I move on to committing. I commit everything that I think into the hands of the righteous judge, into the hands of the faithful creator. That's going to be easier said than it is done. It's going to be easier articulated than it is lived. But that's what being a Christian is all about. Not seeking satisfaction from the perspective of humanity, of your own humanity, but seeking those things which the Lord says are more important. Folks, the only way to do that is to have a relationship on a daily basis with God, to have a a connection to his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. Those, that's the only way to do it. That's the only way to live it. You can't live the Christian life without the author of Christianity. You can't be a Christian without the righteous judge and the faithful creator making it possible to do things that are humanly impossible. And so I'm going to leave it there. That's just a, a brief thought from First Peter chapter 2, I picked up in verse 11, and I read, read, read down through verse 25, and it talks about what a Christian is and how, a vi- and how victory in the Christian life is lived. So from that perspective, I think I'm going to close it out just for a second here. I do want to say thank you so much for listening. Again, this is the On Being Christian podcast, a ministry of Wasatch Front Baptist Church. My name is Pastor Nolan Ruby, and you can get a hold of me if you'd like through the the website of the Wasatch Front Baptist Church. It's wasatchfrontbaptistchurch.com. Under the connection page there, there's a direct link where you can drop me an email if you have any questions or you'd like to talk to me or you'd just like to 
to leave a comment, that's fine with me. I look forward to those things. I'd like to get to know you, get the opportunity to see who I'm talking to. We're having fun serving the Lord here. It's a two-year-old church, and it's growing. Um, We're leaving all of what that looks like in the hands of the Lord. And so I look forward to being able to be with you next time. But just as a way of saying thank you, I'd like to close in prayer, and then we'll be done. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to shed some light on some things from God's perspective. I pray that you would help us, Lord. We can't do these things on our own. We absolutely uh, need you in every aspect of what it means to be a Christian, in every aspect of what it means to live the Christian life. Teach us how to be humble. Teach us to, to reject our own pride and our own uh, selfishness and the things that lead to things causing so many problems and give us the ability to submit ourselves correctly and to commit ourselves correctly as it's laid out in the Word of God. Thank you for all the things you've given us. Thank you for so much grace. And as we close, Father, I pray that you'd be with us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.